Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Sherry Thomas has won accolades for giving Sherlock Holmes a fresh look, taking the famous detective and turning him into Charlotte, a disgraced woman who stays in the shadows and can't reveal herself. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and today Sherry talks about the day she got so mad with a romance she was reading that she decided to write one herself, a step that led to her career as a best-selling USA Today romance and mystery author. But before we talk to Sherry, just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find a full transcript of our chat, plus links to Sherry's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Sherry. Hello there, Sherry, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. A pleasure to be here. Now, I always start in the same way with the once upon a time question, was there a once upon a time moment, a, a sort of epiphany when you decided you wanted to write fiction? And if so, was there some sort of catalyst for it? Ah, mine was exactly like that, actually. <laughs> but, it, but it's not. Um, it's a bit of a funny story because uh, at the time I was a very young stay-at-home mother. I think I was maybe 23 and uh, I had one and a half year old. And I was not very good at being a stay-at-home mother because I was too young, I was too disorganized, and so I was always running behind. And so I had very little time to myself. And one day, I went to the library uh, with my son, and I got a romance, a historical romance, by an author that I had enjoyed very much when I was in my teenage years. I brought it home, put him down for his nap, and I started reading. And that book disagreed with me on every possible level, every possible level. I did not finish it. In fact, when I laid it aside, I was very angry, which has never happened to me with a book before or since. I was very angry because I had so little time and that book took all my free time that day and did not give me any pleasure. Oh, really? So we're not going to name this book. So <laughs> no, we're not going to name this book because the author is still alive. <laughs> and because she did give me a lot of pleasure when I was young and she gave me a career. So this is the most, this is a woman who has benefited me the most in my whole life after my mother. And tell me, what was it that made you so mad about the book? It was just the decisions the characters made, I thought were entirely incomprehensible. Um, and, and, and I think it was just, I think it was just one of those things that's the wrong book at the wrong time. Had I read it at a different time, I might have enjoyed yeah. it, you know, or at least I wouldn't mind it as much, but it was just a wrong book at the wrong time. And so that very day, I'm not sure I can remember the moment of epiphany, but between noonish and when my husband came home that evening, I had made up my mind. When he came back home, I said, hey, guess what? I'm just sitting here at home anyway. I think I can write some historical romances and maybe make some money from it. 
in the back of my head, I thought I could not do any worse than this book. That was basically what I was thinking. <laughs> and give me a little bit of a clue as to what were the decisions the people were making. Was it that the women were too submissive or, or something like that? Or No, in fact, she was too riotous. Oh, okay. She, yeah. she was acting in a way that I did not think it was at all possible for a genteelly raised young woman to act. Like in a way that, that I wouldn't even know, like if she's had servants and governesses around her, like where would she have learned to do those things? Like it was never told in the book. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she's just acting, you know, in a way that, as I said, it is absolutely something I could have enjoyed at a different time. It was just wrong for me at that particular moment. And perhaps it sounds like she was kind of acting out of character and there wasn't any explanation given as to what would have prompted that kind of behavior. I mean, there's a, there's a reason for that kind of behavior. Uh, I think she was trying to impress a man in the wrong way. She was trying to make him not want to marry her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I was like, this is going way too far. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure if you didn't have any training, you could actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> so did you start with historical romance? I did. Is that where you... I did very mm. much. Uh, and, and I have to say, it's a lot easier to say that I can write a better book than this than to actually do it. <laughs> yes. It took me a very long apprenticeship. So I think, so I think even though um, the reason I started was all wrong, I think at some point I must have fallen in love with writing, which is why I continued, because a grudge cannot carry that long. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You must have fallen in love with it. So how long did it take you to get published? Tell us a little bit about that journey. Uh, it took me eight years, I believe. Um, yes, uh, it took me eight years um, to get a contract for my first book. That was uh, before uh, self-publishing uh, was a viable um, option. So New York was the uh, only um, only way. And uh, it took five manuscripts, um, three rounds of queries um, before I got my first contract. Yeah, that, that requires a lot of dedication to keep going like that, doesn't it? it shows that you really did have the determination. Right. And and it wasn't it wasn't so much that every time I got rejected I had to I had to actually gather myself up from the ground or anything. It was just like, oh well, next I guess, you know, let's go on to the next thing then. <laughs> <laughs> and did some of those manuscripts get get to see the light of day later on? Did you manage to rework them so that you could they did them? they did actually of the five completed manuscripts i had written um three were later rewritten in fact the first book i published was because when i accidentally stumbled upon uh, my first manuscript it's been like feeding uh bookworms in a corner of my office for a long time and it it happened to be the only it happened to be the only hard copy of a manuscript that I had because I run an entirely uh, paper-free office. So I only had printed out that one copy many years before to give to a, um, a friend to read. And after she read it, she kindly gave it back to me because in case I could, you know, need, use it for, to give to someone else to read, which I never did. Um, that was the reason I had it. And I used to print recipes on the backs of the pages 
So, so even today, when I open my recipe collection and start flipping through, sometimes suddenly on the back of a recipe, there will be a love scene. (laughs) (laughs) So you've written a lot of historical romances, and we'll go to those a little bit later on in our chat. But the the thing that really drew my attention in your work was your Lady Sherlock series, which Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the other writers that I've spoken with recommended to me, and I thought they were such fun. And you started those with a great premise. What if Sherlock Holmes was a woman? Um, What made you kind of move on to mystery from historical romance? Well, I don't know necessarily that I have uh, moved on from historical romance. Uh, Next time I have a good idea, I still plan to write more. Uh, It's just that I have never thought of myself as strictly a historical romance writer. Uh, In fact, even from the very beginning, I always thought to myself, okay, I will get a foot in the door via historical romance because I seemed very popular. And then I was going to write like science fiction romance. I was going to write like, you know, stories set in space. That never never quite came to be until recently. But um, (laughs) just to give you an idea, the fact that I kept writing historical romance is also a sign that I had sort of fallen in love with writing historical romance. Um, but, um, but I had already, by that time, I had already written a young adult fantasy um, trilogy um, uh, while writing historical romance too. And uh, I think the first time I ever thought I would like to write something, uh, I would like to write a Sherlock Holmes pastiche was when I read Laurie R. King's um, The Beekeeper's Apprentice. Um, That was such a fabulous book. And I was like, ooh, I would love to write something like that, you know, with a a tremendous female character and Sherlock Holmes, et cetera, et cetera. But that was kind of like a nebulous idea. And then BBC Sherlock came along. Oh, yeah. Almost as soon as I watched a single episode, I was like, wow. You remember how it was at the beginning? I think the fourth season suffered a little bit. In the beginning, it was so energetic, so stylish, and everything was just done so perfectly. Um, and I was like, huh, they have completely modernized it. And I know in, uh, another, uh, modern adaptation in the CBS's, um, elementary had made Watson a woman. So I was like, well, the only thing to do now will be to make Sherlock a woman. Um, and so I actually proposed this idea first to my young adult publisher. And they said that no, actually mysteries do not do very well in young adult, but, I'm pretty sure at the same time the Lady Sherlock books came out, there was actually a young adult Sherlock Holmes adaptation also featuring like Sherlock Holmes's great granddaughter. Um, since that didn't work, I turned around to my um, adult publishing house and said, hey, I'm running out of ideas for historical romance. How about let's have some historical mysteries? And I made that, uh, my timing was good. At the time, um, Self-publishing was greatly on the upswing and publishers were having trouble, especially romance publishers, they were having trouble retaining authors who were living in droves to, you know, do it by themselves. And so I was like, hey, I'm willing to stay with you guys, but, you know, I would like to write historical mystery instead of more historical romance. And they just said yes. (laughs) They took a chance and said yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Have you enjoyed doing them? I have enjoyed doing them very much, although they are as hard to write as anything else. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're, not, they're not any easier to write, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So your Sherlock is Charlotte Holmes, mm-hmm. 
and she's a disgraced woman who stays in the shadow. She's got her reasons for not wanting to be publicly known. And she has a Mrs. Watson who mm-hmm. is her uh, sidekick. Um, and you've got book three in the series, I think, due out just this coming month, haven't you? The Hollow Affair. Right. October, October, October 2nd. Yes, The Hollow Affair. Yes. She's fascinated by ciphers and puzzles. And, and I wondered if that was something that you also shared a fascination with, because in the book, it, books, it seems to be something that you really get into, the deciphering, especially in that first book. Uh, in the first book, there are some, but I think in the second book, there's probably more. The second book is actually... Oh, okay, the second book, yeah. Yeah, yeah second book is the, the plot revolves around a number of ciphers that she either accidentally come across or actually go and seek out. Yes. Um, uh, I love I love um, ciphers. I am actually not that good at them. Oh, okay. <laughs> not, not that good at them beyond your basic logic puzzle. Once once you need starting to do grunt work, I'm like I am out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the second Lady Sherlock book, uh, in a conspiracy in Belgravia, sh- uh, Charlotte tackles um, uh, a visionaire cipher which is like so tough in the days before um, computerized deciphering. Um, when, you know, when your uh, software programs could try all the possibilities for you, it was, it was basically mind-cracking you know, work. And you have to have not only smarts, but a ton of patience and basically a ton of perseverance. And, uh, and I find it's much more fun to read about other people deciphering things than to do it myself. I must admit, I listened to that book in the car as an audio book. And so I found the cipher part fascinating, but it did kind of fly over my head a little bit because, as I say, I was driving a lot of the time. But it was fun. But I did think, wow, somebody who really understands this stuff, that's really impressive. (laughs) Yes, I I understood it. I just cannot do it. (laughs) The, the Lady Sherlock series has got a slow burn romance there. Um, her benefactor, Lord Ingram, I mean, I just love that pairing. It, but they have absolutely no sex because he's still married to somebody else um, and because of the time, etc. So in terms of heat level, it's very, very low. Some of your other historical romances, though, have been quite a lot at the other end of the scale of the heat level. And I wondered if readers got a bit confused about that difference? Um, I don't think so. I think readers understood pretty well that these were not romances. Um, in fact, even my publisher got confused <laughs> at first. <laughs> when, when we turned in the first Lady Sherlock book, uh, they were like, okay, so for the next book, uh, you're going to pair somebody up with Mrs. Watson, right? And, and also for this first book, can we please, uh, you know, solve the, the romance between uh, Charlotte and Lord Ingram, like right here? And I was like, no, that's not what I sold you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, by the, I mean, so we, we made them understand. And if we could make them understand, then they in turn make everybody else understand what to expect, that these are not historical romances with mystery elements, but mysteries with uh, romantic elements. And uh, I have I have had readers say, "Oh, I like those books, but man, I wish you would write more historical romance because that's what I really love." And I have totally no problem with that because I also wish I would write more historical romance. Um, but nobody has ever, you know, come charging into my, you know, inbox saying, "I bought these books 
expecting a lot of heat and I didn't look at that. <laughs> That that has not happened. I wondered if maybe the other way that somebody read your mysteries and then went to some of your romances and thought, oh, oh, this isn't quite the same thing. But now I'm sure people do have the the sense to understand. um, Right. And I think you can look at the cover and pretty much know that's not the same kind of book. I mean, I have some clinch covers, like old fashioned clinch covers. I love the (laughs) Belgravia cover, this real sort of uh, mystery about it, really. It's lovely. Very, very atmospheric, yes. So where do you see Lady Sherlock going? I know you've got this third book coming out. Have you got a feeling for how long the series is going to be? I don't know. In fact, I don't know from book to book what I am going to write about, uh, uh, which can be a real problem. Um, I remember being on tour for uh, book two last year, um, and, um, and, and people asking me that question, and for a couple of those stops, my editor was in the audience. <laughs> and I had to answer honestly, <laughs> I don't know. I have thrown out what I've written for book book three and, and I have to restart. Uh, and, you know, there were only a few months left um, to, to write it. And, and I said, uh, um, basically, I'm going to have to steal a plot from book five, um, which is why when you read book three, you will see that suddenly the romance heats up. Yeah, because... Oh. Because, you know, I had to steal the plot from book five when, you know, I thought this would be, actually, I thought this would be a much slower burn um, series than it turned out to be. <laughs> because, because, because book two also stole its plot from book five. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Book five is now tapping its feet, waiting for me to come to it and go, you took everything from me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I've got nothing left to give you. Um, so yeah, um, it's 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 really being an adventure. Um, my husband actually one time said, "I am amazed that you can write novels because you are incapable of long term planning," <laughs> and that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Like like I am so incapable of long term planning. In fact, if I were busy with my work and he calls and asks me to tell him. Uh, what I need for groceries, I cannot even like switch my mind around to, 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 you know, to give him a proper answer. Um, so, uh, so like day to day stuff is all I can handle. I have no idea what I'm going to do like six months from now, next year. So my books are also kind of like that, which is, which is fun in a way because, because then I have to look back to what, to see what I've written and kind of see whether I can like suss out a path for these books. Yeah, yeah. So, so just to go back though for a moment, you mentioned you'd borrowed it from book five. So you must have had a little bit of a structure there of what books one to five were going to cover, didn't, didn't you? Or how how did that work? Oh uh, no, I just thought I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't make Lord Ingram's marriage the primary focus of where the mysteries come from until later. Oh, okay, yes, yeah. And, and of course, I have I had no idea what to write in in the meanwhile. So. After looking around a bit, I'm like, well, I guess you're it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So just going back to your historical romance, because you've written a lot of historical romance in several series. You've got the Fitzhughes, you've got the London Trilogy, and you've got a couple of others as well. What do you enjoy about historical romance or even historicals generally? I mean, I know you have written some contemporaries, but you do seem to focus more on the historical area, don't you? Yeah, I, I don't know why. I think it's, it's, 
it's it's because I like um, I read for escape, and um, the past just seems a bigger escape than you know anything set in the present. Not to say that the present cannot be a great escape, but the past is further away. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of fantasies and science fiction. So, you know, oh, I like to be elsewhere and elsewhere. That's probably the main reason. And then you, ma- you mentioned that tantalizing little hint earlier about a space series. Have you worked on something that's set in space? Yes, I have. I, uh, I wrote a, a little novella uh, a long time ago. I had this idea that I would write a, a one paragraph and ask a few of my friends. So four of us together would all start with that one paragraph, which which begins at a ball and will each spin off from it and uh, and all write something that is not historical romance. Um, and uh, so in the end, I was the only one. It, it took me also a like seven years to get around to it. Uh, but uh, in the end, I wrote mine. And mine was a space ball. It was a weightless ball. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I had a lot of fun writing that uh, little novella. Yeah. And do you think there's any more space stories coming? I would, I would like for there to be because uh, I think science fiction was actually my first love in reading. Uh-huh. It, yes. was, it was science fiction and the Chinese martial arts epics and then romance and then fantasy. Yeah. You have had a lot of variety in what you've written. And I wondered whether you... Um, Use, I mean, writing is probably entertainment for you as well. So do you know from one project to the next what you're going to work on or do you just wait for the fancy to take you? Um, I am a very slow writer. So um, I have to also consider the economics of the um, equation. Yes, yeah. Uh, if, if somebody has already paid me money to write, then whatever they have paid me for take priority over, you know, what I would like to write for fun. Sure. Uh, and uh, recently I branched out um, because uh, one day my, uh, my, my uh, agent just said, hey, I've got an editor who is interested in a, a young adult adaptation of the Ballad of Mulan. Oh. There's never been a young adult um, ad- a novel length adaptation of it done in the English language. And uh, and with the, with the Disney uh, live-action remake of Mulan coming up, they want to take advantage of the timing. She said, are you interested? And I was like, you know, I have never given Mulan a thought in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I was intrigued. I was like, well, the original ballad is like barely, uh, it's a very, very short poem. And it, it really makes no mention of what she did in the army, like all those years. And it's like two lines. Um, so, and, and the, and this is not related to Disney, so I cannot, you know, write Disney's movie as a book. Um, so then basically requires a whole scale reconceptualization and, and we were able to do it. And she, she liked my original proposal and we went in and yeah, I just, uh, I just got finished with it now and I'm quite pleased with it in fact. So, um, so if people were willing to pay me money. I'm willing to write all kinds of things. <laughs> wow, that sounds interesting. It really does. Mm. <laughs> not, not as much of an artist as I should be. <laughs> oh, it just sounds like you can turn your creative powers to anything. <laughs> um, it's not so much anything, but, but I do feel that um, a lot of writing is execution. People tend to put 
a lot of emphasis on ideas, but but I always feel that if I bend my mind to it, I can execute just about anything to my own liking. Yeah, that nicely segues into the next section where we move on from talking about specific work to looking at a slightly wider view of your career. And I wanted to ask you, is there one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other that you see as perhaps the secret to your success? I don't know. I think it is that attention to execution because um, because sometimes when I uh, read, because, because I have had the uh, good fortune of having either tough editors or a very tough critique partner looking at my books. And, uh, and they have been very unsparing <laughs> in telling me what the heck uh, is wrong with all of that. Uh, um, and, and I have always paid great attention to what they said. And I've always taken the time to think it through and to think, okay, what can I do so that it both addresses their concern and still end up being something that is um, my work. Um, and I have never hesitated in throwing away um, uh, drafts, half drafts, whole drafts when it turns out it wasn't good mm-hmm. uh, or that, or just that I could do better. So basically every book has been written until I absolutely cannot do it any better. And um, for me, for me, that's how I see it. Uh, uh, whether I do something particularly well uh, that's for other people to judge, but this is all I can do at my end. Yeah, so you're really saying that you're a very disciplined craftsperson. That's how it comes across to me. A lot of people would not use the word very disciplined to describe me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I feel like uh, for for all my books, I have done the maximum that I can. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've published a stunning array of international editions. When you go on your website, there's a whole raft of countries that are selling your work in their national languages. How many languages are you published in? And do you find that different nationalities respond to your work differently? Um, I feel like, um, I think 13 or 14 languages. I'm not quite sure. So obviously not as many as, you know, I could be published in. <laughs> but uh, but I think except in I, I did four books in German. I paid for the translation myself to them self-publish uh, because I, my good friend Court Milan was doing that at the time. But other than that, um, usually I've just taken a very passive uh, view to uh, publishing abroad, which is basically I'm waiting for other uh, publishers abroad to bring uh, their inquiries to my agent and for my agent to pass it on to me. Say, will you accept this? Um, so, so I haven't had a too 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 great a hand in how many languages I've published in. Uh, but as for um, what people respond to in each language, uh, I'm very grateful to the French. They have bought all my romances, and and it seems that romances have been the most popular. Um, his, my historical romances have been the most popular choices for publishers abroad. Um, I think part of it is because maybe romances are standalone, typically, and uh, they're not having to invest in like three or four books at a go. Um, and, uh, or maybe there just is a large readership uh, 
um, I think the Spanish are very passionate about my first book. I, from time to time, I will get these um, dissertation of letters uh, that I feed into um, Google Translate to see what it means. <laughs> and, and oddly enough, um, my first, uh, the Spanish, I've only published, uh, the Spanish have only bought my first two books. And it's always the first book that inspires that kind of reaction and never the second book, which is like a quieter, more, um, more uh, like a book with more longing, uh, whereas the first book is more like this passionate confrontation. So <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you've got those in the right order. So <laughs> turning to Sherry as a reader, because this is called The Joys of Binge Reading, and we do always take authors who have been writing in series. Um, do you, ha I don't know if you would have much time to binge read now, but in the past, have you been a binge reader? And who are your favorite authors or who are you reading at the moment? Uh, I read, um, I don't know if I'm the classic definition of a binge reader in that um, I will go through an author's whole uh, like whole body of work in one go. Um, although there, there, there was one stretch of time when I was, like on really tight deadlines and really stressed. And for some reason, whenever I would stop working at night, I would go and, you know, check out an electronic copy of the old Agatha Christie work from the library, like almost every night, because, you know, they're short and you can pretty much count on them to be well-written and they don't require too much emotional investment. Yeah. You're just there yeah. to, um, but, uh, but I do very much enjoy uh, Louise Penny's um, The Inspector Among Gamash yes. series. Yes. Um, and uh, I do very much enjoy, um, I'm never sure I'm getting her name right, um, Megan Whalen Turner's The Queen's Thief series, which is a young adult series. Oh, yes. but, I am one book, but I'm one book behind on that. Um, I'm thinking what other series very often I tend to read in like a much more uh, buffet type yes yeah uh yeah. style rather than like a a, a binge read I, I I am binge reading but I'm just binge reading widely yes yes like like right now I have um I am reading six of crows by um by uh, Lee Bardugo because uh, I want to read a heist book and that is a heist book. Yes. Uh, I just finished uh, A Wizard of Earth Sea by Ursula K. Le Guin, which I tried in middle school, high school, but got a little too scared mid halfway through and didn't finish for some reason. So this time I just listened to it all the way through. And I'm also... Um, listening to Tiffany Haddish's uh, memoir I just started. So it's like, it, I'm, I'm like, uh, that's actually probably one more book than I could handle because I noticed that if I'm going on three books at once, I will become very distracted in other things that I'm doing. Yeah. 
<laughs> like my brain will be too full of uh, stories and uh, and I'll be like dropping this thing or forgetting that task. Uh, yeah, oh, that sounds great though. You certainly have got a good smorgasbord there. Exactly, a smorgasbord. That's a fantastic way of describing it. <laughs> We are coming to the end of our time together, but um, we, I'd like to just look back over your career now and ask you, at this stage of things, if you were doing it all over again, what would you change, if anything? I really can't say I would change anything um, career-wise because, um, because, first of all, it won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no matter right. how much I, no matter how much I wish it, yeah, um, right. and and second of all, I'm okay. I'm okay with how much everything has turned out because I think every at every moment along the journey, I made the best choices I could. Um, there's there's usually a bit of regret when I think back to um, taking one particular contract. Um, I had lost. I had. I had to leave my publisher in the summer of 2011, I think, and so I would move to another another publisher, and I took a lesser contract. It's more books in less time for, for um, less money, and six months after I took that contract was basically when self publishing took off. Yeah, and uh, and in another few months, my friend Courtney Milan would bring out her first novella, a self-published novella, and hit the New York Times um, list uh, right away. Um, and and I was locked into that three-book contract, and I would, could only look at other people, um, you know, do gambusters, given that I was a very slow writer, and given that, you know, I actually could not write, could not even self-publish the books I had under my bed because they were also historical romance and I had to give my publisher first look at that because they had that um, uh, they had the option clause um, so so there was a time when I felt oh you know maybe I shouldn't have done that but on the other end I always knew that I wasn't that brilliant a businesswoman <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't have done that tremendously as self-publishing even if having a free agent then so in the end no, no regrets. I wouldn't have done anything differently. I would have, you know, if anything, I would have just told myself, don't worry about it. You know, just keep going. Yeah, yes, yeah. And you're happy to stay traditionally published? Uh, because I'm very lazy. <laughs> I mean, not, not very lazy, but, um, but I like my free time. I like doing nothing. And, uh, and my brain kind of just shuts down if I'm only working all day long. Um, and I think to succeed in self-publishing, you have to basically work tremendously hard. And, uh, and I'm okay. I'm okay. I'll take the trade-off. Um, although, I, let me put it out there. The I think my friend told me that the book, The Secret, says you have to put your desires out uh, aloud. Oh, yes, you had to express them, yes. Yeah. Something like that. A bunch of years ago, I think I said aloud uh, to my husband, I don't think I ever want an assistant. You know, I don't want, ever want to be successful enough to have an assistant. And I think that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> you voiced the wrong <laughs> so, thing there. I, exactly. Now, now I would like to say, I would like to be successful enough to need two assistants. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what is next for Sherry, the writer? What do you have under development at the moment? Um, so, the, uh, so the Mulan adaptation will be out um, next year, this time. And I have to right now immediately start writing Lady Sherlock 4 because that is due <laughs> like in like two months. And, and it's got a, yeah, um, I said I have to start, right? Which means I haven't started yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's quite tight, isn't it? Yeah, that, that is that is that is quite tight. I, I have a like maybe two or three months to produce a first draft, uh, and then it will be like a, a, a uphill fight all the way. Um, so at the moment, I'm just fulfilling obligations. I have to wait till Lady Sherlock Four finishes, and I also have five under contract before uh, before I can think what else to do. But in the meanwhile, if somebody else would like to see me write something, and they have plenty of money to throw around. I am available. Contact me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, Sherry, where can readers find you online? Uh, my website is uh, sherrythomas.com. Uh, I am on Twitter uh, at, at sherrythomas, uh, on Instagram at, at writer Sherry Thomas, and on Facebook at author Sherry Thomas. So I'm pretty easy to find. Do you um, interact quite a bit with your readers? Um, I'm not sure uh, how to judge that because uh, if, if readers uh, take the initiative to um, say something to me, I always say something back. But uh, I'm not one to uh, go out and to uh, look for interactions. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that, it's that laziness again. I wake up in the morning and I just, you know, one fewer thing for me to do. <laughs> Well, look, that's wonderful. I'm looking forward to seeing number three in another couple of weeks and um, wish you all the very best with your continuing career. And thank you very much. I hope you enjoy number three. And thank you so much for having, for having me on your lovely and fun podcast. Thanks so much, Sherry. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audioservices at gmail.com. Or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right, and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. 
as I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.